Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts. Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and with me is uh, Chase Wilsey. And uh, we were talking uh, beforehand about uh, some companies who are on the portfolio. So I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got like 30 seconds of music playing. <laughs> so, so a little bit behind trying to get uh, things together. But uh, we do have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, and as always, we're taking your phone calls here, probably about oh, in 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, crazy time in the markets. They're up, they're down. Uh, that's what we're here for to, to discuss about uh, how to help you on that situation to get through and what to buy, what to sell, and, and so forth, based on a fundamental analysis. And again, keep in mind, we don't tell you, uh, you, you can't do it in 30 seconds or a minute. I think we probably do a minute, maybe two minutes to yeah. review. Um, we're trying to point in the right direction. Does it need more research? Or, you know, it's not even worth looking at. They got, you know, five times debt to equity. No, don't need don't even waste your time. But um, Chase, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Always got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and uh, let, let's start off with, uh, you know, we we're talking about it again this, this morning. <laughs> and again, we're right up the elevator. We're, we're talking about it. I've got to hit the button. We're sitting there like, we're not moving. Oh, <laughs> didn't hit the button. So let's talk about the GDP because based on the advanced estimate for Q2 GDP, we are technically in a recession, which is constituted as two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. Now, the National Bureau of Economic Research officially declares recessions and expansions, but the determination will not come for another few months. Uh, going back to 1948, every time there were two consecutive quarters of declining GDP, the economy was considered a recession. Looking at the current dollar GDP, it actually increased 7.8% at an annualized rate, but due to inflation, real GDP declined 0.9% in the quarter. And we look at here at the consumer portion of the report, because it, it occupies about 70% of that report, but it increased just 1% as spending on services accelerated during the period by 4.1%. So service spending definitely coming back, still very strong, but that was offset by declines in non-durable goods of 5.5% and durable goods of 2.6%. Gotta remember a lot of that was pulled forward during code. We were buying a lot of goods, not so much on services. Now that has obviously switched quite drastically. Also too, gross private domestic investment weighed negatively on the report, with this being a huge impact. The change in private inventory subtracted 2.01% from the headline number. Government spending also reduced the headline number by 0.33%. I was shocked by this. Trade or net exports was a major surprise as it added 1.43% to the headline number. Thought that was going to be a big issue as we know about the rising dollar. Thought that was going to have a negative impact on trade. So that was a pleasant surprise. Overall, though, I'd say this report isn't extremely troubling. you got to remember, inflation has just made it harder for the economy to grow. And, and one thing that, uh, you know, you talked about was, oh, where was it? The non-durable goods, of the 5.5%. Uh, that's what they call residential investment. And what's happening is the housing market's slowing down and things like washing machines and refrigerators uh, are not being purchased at the same pace as before. And again, you got to remember, we had such a big boom on that. 
Uh, and I, and I kind of looked at some numbers. If you compare to 2019, we're not doing bad at all, but because of all the money that came into the economy during COVID or after COVID, however you want to phrase it, um, it was such a, a peak that now we've fallen off of the peak and it looks like, oh, things are terrible. And I don't want to say they're great, but they're not, oh my gosh, you know, it's gonna be a, a depression. Yeah, and, and the thing that I look at here too is, I guess I have a lot of thoughts on this, but what I wanna say, I guess, first, is I really think we need to be careful about how this is categorized. And people keep saying, oh, well, technically it's not a recession because, well, the job market's so strong. And I think if they get too far off track in defining a recession, now, what happens down the road if GDP is like up 1%, but the job market's terrible? Are you in a recession or not yeah. in a recession? And the thing that I think people get so fixated on is the recession is such a terrible thing. It doesn't have to be a terrible <laughs> thing. We could have what we'll call a decent recession, but I really do hope that they still categorize this as a recession. As you said, the job market's strong. There's still a lot of positives out there, but don't start trying to change the definition of recession. It doesn't have to mean things are terrible. It just means, yeah, we had two negative quarters of GDP. That's all it is. And, and it's kind of like in anything in life. You cannot be happy every single day, every single hour of the day. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have pullbacks in the economy because things do ebb and flow. And again, we went way up and you cannot keep on that pace. So therefore, you're going to have these. And these are healthy because this is going to help with inflation because the, the spending has come back down. Uh, inventory. Remember, um, I don't know, a year ago, like, oh, we can't get product. Uh, inventory is terrible and so forth. Well, now that's being reversed around. More inventory means retailers will reduce their prices because they want to, you know, sell it more. So these are just things that happen and don't change your investment philosophy and sell everything, go to cash because you think, oh, we're in a recession. Well, and, and two kind of things on the inventory is we know like, like Walmart did not report good numbers. Yep. There's so much items in their their inventory there that that should help with inflation but also too we talked about the the inventories being a huge way on gdp this quarter i think q3 q4 you could have it flipped to the other side mm -hmm. where companies now have to restock their inventories and inventories then become a big benefit to gdp yeah and, and that's why i wouldn't uh you know you got to think forward not think oh the the, the world's coming in and Things are terrible, we're gonna be in a, a depression. No, I don't see that because again, the job market is, is, is strong. There is still, I believe, somewhere around $20 trillion in, in liquid money in the country. Uh, and people's attitudes, while they hear the recession, they complain about the recession, they will still go out and travel and do certain things. Now, I think they have pulled back on some things, but other things they have not. And uh, we, we listened to some different conference calls so far and affecting some businesses, but they still seem optimistic uh, around six months down the road. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're, oh, we we pulled out too much debt and we don't know what to do. You, you know, there's, right. the, the companies that we're listening to are, are still very strong. There, there's nothing, again, that's going to make them fold within the next six months. And the other thing, too, I wanted to say about like nominal GDP is we always talk about why stocks, companies are the best inflation hedge because they're the ones increasing their prices. Yep. And even though the real GDP is contracting, as I said, if you look at the absolute dollar GDP, that was up 7.8%. Now, people, oh yeah, but inflation. Well, if you have a company, you're not looking at the inflation adjusted earnings per right. share. You're looking at how much of that company make in terms of earnings. And don't get me wrong, their costs have gone up. But what happens is, okay, they have to increase sales and maybe their profit margins contract initially. But then down the road, okay, well, we increase 
our prices again to offset those cost increases. Now, maybe your profit margin isn't as high, but now your absolute dollars in terms of earnings and your absolute dollars in terms of earnings per share, well, now that's increased. That should generate a higher value for that stock and higher stock prices because your earnings are increasing. That's why you got to stop, again, worrying about the inflation and worrying about, oh my gosh, GDP. Look at our company's growing sales, growing earnings. As always, it is important. You're not overpaying for those sales and earnings. <laughs> that's right. That, that's that's very important. And also, too, it does not happen like oh, and 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 uh, you know, three weeks. Okay, the inflation for the company is working out well. Their profits are going up. It, it does take time. It takes quarters for that to happen. It doesn't happen quickly. So don't get impatient with your equity. Like oh, I thought it was going to help this out, and this food company hasn't moved yet. It takes time for those. Uh, revenues to get on through to the bottom line. Let, let's switch over to the housing market because rising interest rates are continuing to impact the housing market. Pending home sales uh, came out uh, for the month of June and they were 20% lower than last year. Look at the sales compared to May. Sales were down 8.6%, which was much wider than the 1% drop analysts were looking for, excluding the first two months of COVID sales came at the slowest rate since September of 2011. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, you kind of exclude those two months of COVID because nobody was buying houses and all of a sudden everybody was buying houses. Oh, it's a great deal. It's my house. (laughs) (laughs) But also, too, looking at mortgage applications, they have also remained weak as the recent report showed applications to purchase a home. Well, they were down 18% compared to last year. And applications to refinance, no shock here, they were down 83% compared to last year as rates went up. You know, not many people are going to be refinancing at a higher rate, of course. Yeah, not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, with a higher amount going to interest, homebuyer affordability is just too much of a problem, which I continue to believe will weigh on housing prices. You can't have housing prices go up and then affordability is an issue, and then all of a sudden interest rates go up. Affordability is even more of an issue now. People just can't afford that mortgage. It's just too expensive. And I, I thought we had it this uh, past week, maybe we did not, but I believe the median price of the home came down like was it twelve percent? It come from four forty down to four hundred or something. I I thought I had that in my notes. I don't see it here. Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw that number. I'm, I'm not sure where it went, but uh, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, if you look at the median home price, and one thing I will say too that is somewhat challenging is there are like the Case Shiller price index, the median home price across. The, there's like a couple of different median prices that you can look at. But uh, I did see a report, it was actually on Fox Business, that I wanted to say the numbers were, it was like 450,000 was the peak around that level. And now it's pulled back to 405, 410,000. So it's been been a pretty substantial decline in, in the median home price across the country. Yeah, and and, and, and that will kind of change things. And, and, and we did see a pullback. I mean, the, the, I remember the 10-year treasury, I think it hit, I don't say a month or two ago, like 3.3%, I think it was. I think uh, close on Friday around two seven two six eight. I think it was. Yeah. So that could help a little bit on the mortgage rate side, but I don't think it's going to be permanent. So you could see some decline in the prices again of mortgages, but that I I think is going to be temporary. So I I do believe we'll see. And the Fed has not increased their runoff yet. I'll call it of the uh, the their, their treasuries that they have. Yeah. That, that could change a long into the market. I, I, I still uh, think they just. I think the best thing they could do is just get out of the market is just stop, I don't want to say manipulating, but stop buying bonds. Just yeah. let the bonds figure out the prices. Because even though they well, have I th- that- I thought they did stop buying no, bonds. No, Wait, because, so they're, no, they're running because what the, they, they do is they have the runoff of the balance sheet, but they cap it. 
So they cap it at $45 billion. So if you have $90 billion run off in the month, they're still buying $45 billion to replace that remaining $45 billion. And, and these aren't the exact numbers. Right. But so if their runoff exceeds the cap, they're still in the bond market. Yeah, I, I've, I've not seen the updates on that lately because I know that they were slowing down on that. But I know they were. And I would love to see them just, as you said, stop buying and start selling to get rid of and improve the balance sheet. Because if we do. And I don't even <clears> think they have to sell. I just think just. Just let it run off. Just let it run off. Just let it do its thing. I mean, I'm not running the Fed here, but I, I just think if you let the, the rates kind of set themselves, don't flood the market because then you could all of a sudden have <laughs> the mortgage rates spike <laughs> a lot if you start selling. Right. But, you know, just kind of let it run off and see how the, the market kind of tries to fill those interest rates naturally. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, I mean, if you look at the two-year and the 10-year right now, we have a huge inversion yeah. because they're, they're, they increase the short-term rates by 0.75% again. But the long end, they're still in there and they're, they're not in there to the same effect, but they still are purchasing bonds to, at some capacity. And I don't understand why they're doing that because, uh, again, they're trying to control inflation. I believe a better thing than just raising short term rates, which, again, just works on the short end. Stop buying the bonds and start selling more off or let things run off and let the market do what it's going to do. Because I think then you'd have the longer end at 3.4, 3.5 again, maybe a little bit higher. <clears throat> because there's more supply in the market, which to sell it, you need higher rates. So Yeah, um, and I, I did want to say real quick, too, on that the housing side. It, yeah. it was pretty interesting where you look at where it was worst for I don't think it's region. worst. I think it's worse. Worse. Where worse. it was worse <laughs> was the West. The West housing sales, the pending sales, were down 30.9% compared to last June. And the West, uh, does that include Texas? I don't think it does. No, I, I'm sure Texas is probably, probably mostly South. Calif probably mostly California. Yeah, but the yeah. South also <clears throat> was down quite substantially. They were down 19.2%. The Midwest, they were down 13.4%. The Northeast was down 17.6%. So um, definitely things got hit the hardest, it appears. The West by far. And then the South was the, the second worst there. Second worst there. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 changing and definitely going through a correction. I would not be like, oh, I, I'd be very cautious about buying a house today. You may have a better deal tomorrow. And, and you look at now the estimate is from the National Association of Realtors. They're forecasting total sales for the year will be down 13 mm. percent for the full year, which, again, you have lower demand. I still think you could see more supply come on as people say, you know, I'm going to get out before the housing market collapses. And I'm not saying the housing market is going to collapse, but you have that fear from people. Right. Like, I'm just going to lock in a good price here. I'm, I'm retired now. I'm just going to go ahead, downsize, sell, and, you know, maybe move to a senior community or something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you, you flood the market with these, the supplies where, oh, I've been a landlord for too long. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to sell my rental. So uh, I do worry that you have lower demand, higher supply. That equals lower prices. And just off track, uh, and I still want to do this yet because you mentioned the the rental and, oh, I want to just get rid of my rental and so forth. There appears to be a huge inventory of apartments coming on the market here oh, in yeah. San Diego, I would say in the next 12 months. And I think that's going to really throw off the rental market for, for people as well because they're going to be competing. They're going to have like, you know, six months free rent, uh, free utilities, all kinds of things because we're going to have these empty buildings staying there. And you can look around San Diego. I have not researched it yet, but I know it's a big number of apartments coming online 
I'd, I'd say over the next year or so. I mean, just driving down here, you pass a ton. I yeah. mean, because driving down here, I mean, off the Calm Mountain, I did look that up. They have that huge empty space where the tractors are going and they're bulldozing everything. And I think that's going to be like 1,200 units of, right. you know, uh, condos and apartments, I think is what I saw. And then right off uh, in, you know, Scripps Ranch, they just built that whole area. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of different, as you said, apartment buildings coming up and, I don't know. We'll see yeah. what happens. Uh, we, we've talked before that I don't own a home. I sold my home probably about a year and a half, two years ago. Been sitting on that, investing that money. Uh, I have begun looking and comparing what is going on. Starting to go to open houses, kind of see what's there. Uh, I talked to one realtor. Oh, no, things are still going up. It's like, okay, that's what you think. <laughs> you know, I, I disagree, and I didn't say that, but I just like, thank you for your time. But let, let's talk about stock revenue because I was not impressed at all by Microsoft's earnings report. And was surprised to see the stock rally and continued to rally. Uh, I think it is just traders trying to buy the dip as the results were quite unimpressive. The company reported sales of 51.87 billion versus expectations of 52.44 billion and earnings per share of $2.23 versus expectations of $2.29 per share. And, and looking at revenue growth, that growth that was just 12%, and net income was up just 2% in the quarter. And I use the word just because for a company trading at a forward PE over 25 times based on 2023 earnings, the growth should be much more impressive, impressive than 2% net yeah. income growth. I mean, you got to have double-digit growth, in my opinion, to be trading at that type of level. And even the cloud was a disappointment as revenue from Azure, which is their cloud main cloud staple and then other cloud services grew by 40 percent which decelerated from last quarter's 46 percent and missed analyst expectations of 43 percent first quarter guidance of 49.25 billion to 50.25 billion and revenue also missed expectations of 51.5 billion i continue to believe the stock is just too expensive especially with numbers like this i mean it's as I said, I, I just, I know it rallied 8%, then 2% was up another 1.5% yesterday. It's had a huge rally over the last three days. And I, I think it's, I'm going to call it the yeah, but story. Yeah. Yeah, but they reaffirmed guidance. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's impressive. And, and it's just one of these things that high flying stocks doesn't stay there forever. And again, you can have these periods where all oh, things were you know reverse around and buy the dip and things look great for a while and then they come back like wait a minute why do we buy this at such high levels just little things can turn it to go back down and again it's not just ibm i mean apple um amazon's been a big surprise with, with their big increase and it, the, the businesses are not worth the growth that they were before and these valuations are trading at and, and i think there's just people coming in just to buy the dip as we say but that won't last and when things turns around your bottom dip, I think, could be lower than it was before. So I'd be very careful with these companies. Maybe there's traders, but for investing right now, I would not recommend any one of those companies. Well, and I'm going to pull up Apple too, because I yeah. I looked at the numbers here. Earnings per share down eight percent year over year. Revenue up two percent year over year. It's not very good. No. And as I said, if you have this company that's trading at 25, 30 times earnings. You actually declined in earnings and sales were up only 2%. That, that's not good growth. But Chase, it's Apple. Uh, yeah, right. Everybody loves Apple. And, and if you're trading at 30 times earnings, you, you got to have a, a story there. And I, I was kind of looking through the numbers on Apple and they were talking about, well, iPhone revenue, you know, it, it remains stable. It's up 3% year over year, but they have their new iPhone coming out this year. 
And I think what's going to happen is at some point they're going to miss, and I've talked about this before, they're going to miss on one of those cycles where I don't really need the new iPhone 14. I don't really need the new iPhone. And maybe it's not this one. Maybe it's the iPhone 15. Right. But there's going to become a point where like people just don't buy that iPhone cycle. And even with the new cycle, maybe iPhone sales decline or don't increase at all. That would be hugely problematic. And I was shocked here. Service revenue, that was only up 12%. Remember that? It used to go at 25 30%. Oh, yeah. yeah. Service revenue is not growing the way it used to. I don't see where the catalyst is going to come for Apple to have huge growth. And it's kind of funny. I remember they got pegged or knocked down years ago for being a one-trick pony. Well, if you're kind of still hinging on the fact that iPhone sales yeah. are the place of growth in a quarter, that's, that's a big risk. Yeah, and just people, they just love the phone. Again, it's a great phone, but also, too, with the economy. And, yeah, gas prices are higher. You know, things are, you know, there's some strains there. You're right. The iPhone 14 comes out. Unless it's got some phenomenal thing that it gives you a massage or something that no one thought of, it's just another four, It's just another iPhone, maybe a little bit newer. And you're going to say, eh, I don't need it. I've, I've got the 10. I got the 11. I got the 12. I, you know, why do I need I got the 8. <laughs> you have the 8. I know. <laughs> but, it, it, but it does the same thing. And, and it's just like, but you want that new thing. Oh, I want the camera and so forth. I don't know what thing they could do on the 14 to have that happen again. And I do remember because we did own Apple for, for quite a while. And I remember a couple of times, and we, I think we bought it when they had a bad cycle and i think the stock dropped i want to say 30 35 percent at that point because they really disappointed yeah it was a big drop so, yeah, so. And, and again we always talk about this these aren't bad companies no it's not just, at all i mean as i said their their sales were still up their earnings were down slightly but they're still extremely profitable they still have very good earnings but it's what you're paying for those earnings it's just too expensive and and that's where the, the valuation risk lies and you know, you, you got to take a step back and say, well, if this company was an Apple, it's pretty lackluster quarter, I yeah. would say. Yeah, I, I think anybody else would probably pull back like, oh, we're disappointed. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I yeah. mean, the, the, there's a lot of trading days left uh, in the year. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. We are going to open the phone lines uh, to answer your calls, to give you that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion. Phone number again, 833-288-0973. Uh, before we go to the calls, uh, Chase, do you want to talk about a couple of charity events coming up? you got your golf tournament uh, coming up in two weeks, uh, yep. I believe it is. Yeah, yeah golf tournament's coming up in two weeks. Uh, it's going to be at the RBN, and it's $150 a player, but that includes the round, that includes tacos, that includes unlimited beer and seltzers. Uh, also, too, we'll have like a little pre-party there where uh, you know can hang out. We got some great silent auction items that are, have come together. We got some Padres items. We have some, uh, you know, kind of a local stay at a nice house in La Jolla. We have a, a local stay down at Saquon. I mean, we got a, a really great silent auction that's come together. San Diego State basketball tickets. Yep. So super excited about that. And it all goes to the charity that I run. It's called the Fighters Fight Foundation, which is for breast cancer. And, you know, really excited. We've made some a lot of improvements to it this year. Uh, just had our, our first what we call spa experiences and uh, had two women in the past week both stage four, they went to the RBN, went to the spa, and just got a day to kind of relax and hang out. One of them brought a friend, one just wanted to go by herself. But, you know, it's so hard when you're going through chemo and mm -hmm. doctor's appointments, and just to kind of have the time, they were so grateful for it, and they, they sent me just really, really generous emails, and were just uh, 
beyondly grateful. So that's where the money's going to go to is help us fundraise for that and also to our Christmas experiences coming up at the end of the year where we pick a couple families that uh, generally, unfortunately, single moms that have breast cancer. This has been a huge hit for our charity uh, and, you know, really putting on a Christmas for them and their kids. So it's a it's a, a great event, but also it's a great cause where, where the funds really help us kind of get through the end of the year. Yeah, and, and unfortunately I won't be there, but I will be at another charity event for the uh, Blind Center of San Diego car event uh, down in Barcadero. I forgot my notes. I thought for sure I put my folder <laughs> yesterday and I come here, then where are they at? Uh, but it will be uh, two weeks from today down in Barcadero. I believe the, the gates open at 10. Uh, there'll be a lot of different cars there. It's put on by the Corvette Club. Uh, I'll have my Lamborghini. I think I'm going to bring the Aventador uh, this time, and I'll, I'll be there to kind of see people. Also, too, they have a trophy, uh, the Wilsey Asset Management Trophy. We're giving away that uh, picked on my uh, thing of what I want for a car, and I'm going to do, I think, a value car. What what car has the best appreciation over the next 10 years <laughs> when I'm, try, I'm trying to do? So i got to talk to the owners on that, make sure that they're okay with that, but that's what I'm planning on. But a great event. As you know, I love cars, and I uh, hope to see a lot of people down there. If you do go down there uh, in two weeks in the Barcadero, please come up and say hello, and uh, we can chat a little bit about Investing. And yeah. investing. Investing. <laughs> and same thing with the golf tournament. I'm sure that comes up in investing. When, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll be there running around. And, uh, you know, if you do want to register again, that's going to be August 13th. Uh, registration starts at 1130 and then golf actually starts at 130. Um, but you go, go to our website there. It's fightersfightfoundation.com. Again, fightersfightfoundation.com. We also have some corporate sponsorship opportunities there as well. Very cool. And, and the uh, car event uh, is free in the Barcadero. So trying to one up me, huh? No, well, <laughs> no. no. Well, <laughs> you want to pay to golf or you want to go to a free event? That's no. your foundation, your charity. This is something different for cars. So I'm just, uh, I'm just All right. <laughs> Phone numbers again, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, I do hear you're going to have this car event. I'm going to put my um, my old Toyota into the most value appreciated car. <laughs> I paid 850 bucks for it. Paid 850 bucks for it. I sold it. I think four or five years later for like 2,000 bucks. Oh wow! Uh, so try that with your Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> well, dollar wise, I think mine will go up more. But anyways. <laughs> Um, I, and I know you called about, and I got to tell you, because you're calling by IBM, correct, Jim? Yes, I did. And I understand they're coming out with, what, Univac uh, 2.0 now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for the new upgrade. Well, <laughs> the reason why I joke about it is because when we come in the studio, you know, we open up our screens and so forth, and I always test, you know, okay, I got to test a company. Well, the company I tested this morning was IBM, so I guess I knew you were calling about <laughs> IBM. So uh, do you uh, hold well, it? You, you know. Do you think you hold Do you hold it? You're thinking about buying it, Jim? What do you, what do you think? Oh, no, I, I bought some a while back because it's got a nice dividend, and I'm you know, I wonder, let's, you know, let's talk about maybe getting some more because it's, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a greedy dividend investor, and I'm looking at uh, the possibility of them being able to afford to pay it for the next, uh, I don't know, what's, you know, the next, uh, well, the next four or five years at least. All right, well, well let's say, let's say, because I, I, I've always liked IBM. I know there's an issue with it. I'll tell you when I, when I get to it, uh, but they are in the information sure. technology services industry. 
only 2.5% short float on it. Uh, institutional ownership uh, is low for a company this size or this name. It's only 57%. I, I thought it'd be more in the 70s or 80s. Uh, we do see a P ratio of 21.1 versus 37.5. That's positive. Price of sales 2.0 versus 1.9. That's okay. Here's the problem. Price of tangible book value, not material. And that's the same as the industry. We get kind of worried about the intangible assets. And especially now, I don't think we've done the post yet, but I've talked to Chase about it, that with the pullback in the economy and the markets, we could start seeing write downs of intangible assets, which are going to be problems for some of these companies. So I don't know if this will affect IBM or not. You'd have to really look at what their assets are, but it is something I think coming over the next year or so as they have to reevaluate uh, the value of those intangible assets. Uh, going back to well, price. Brent, yeah. Brent, yeah. Brent, I mean, writing down an intangible asset isn't going to mess with the cash flow, is it? I mean, you uh, know, that's what people think. But what I tell people, remember, when they bought that asset yeah. a year or two ago, what did they use to buy that asset? Probably cash. So they did use cash to buy that. It's like overpaying for something, and now you're writing it down because it's not worth that. So they used cash in the beginning to buy that asset, whatever it was. So I, I know I've heard that people, well, it's not a cash app. Write down. Eh, they used cash to pay it initially. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I'm going to agree but disagree. I mean, yeah. it, it, their projections have definitely been lowered because they used cash to buy it and essentially bought future cash flows with that cash. Yeah. But it's... The, the earnings hit that they take many times, say a billion dollars, it's not like they write a check for a billion dollars. No, they don't write a check for a billion dollars, but you you use that cash, you paid too much for it, you did the wrong thing, but nice to maybe use it for something else. So it it, it, it is something you want to be aware of yeah. and to say, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. You, you overpaid for something. And so. it hurts your projection. Your earnings yeah. per share going forward should come down because your, yeah. your, your projected purchase is going to be severely impacted your your future cash flows are not yep. going to be what you initially planned out for yeah so we, we got to do a post on that to yeah. kind of explain that a little bit more but also they, they sure. do have a good uh, peg ratio though 1.4 versus 5.7 uh their earnings over the last year did climb by 6.7 percent uh the industry was up 22.8 percent and this is for the most recent quarter so they did uh, these are numbers for ending june 30th by the way uh sales were down here's a problem down 19.8 percent industry up 11.6 I don't know why IBM's doing so poorly, uh, having sales growth down 20% year over year. Uh, we do see a five-year uh, estimated growth on their earnings at 9% for IBM, but 112 for the industry. Now, I know you like that dividend, 5.1%. That's pretty attractive. Got to point out, they use 105.6% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, something has to change here, either cutting that dividend or they have to increase their earnings. And I know they're gonna be very reluctant to cut that dividend, but if they keep having this problem, they may have to, and you know that's not gonna be good for the stock price there at all. Uh, moving on here, we do see, oh, my screen just froze on me here. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 0.9 versus 1.6. That's not as good as I would like it to be. Debt to equity is very high, 2.8 versus 1.5. And again, keep in mind, those intangible assets are based on that equity. You start pulling those down, that debt will debt equity will start increasing uh, even worse than it is now. Net profit margin nine point four versus five point three. Return on equity very good twenty eight point eight versus eighteen point seven. Uh, Chase, what do you got going for there? As a current price here for IBM one hundred thirty dollars and seventy nine cents. The fifty two week high well that's one hundred forty four dollars and seventy three cents, and the low one hundred fourteen dollars and fifty six cents. Year to date, kind of surprised by this. It, it's it's flat. 
which is uh, beating the indexes. Yeah. So I, hey, well, actually, it's up 0.2%, but <laughs> I'm going to say it's flat. <laughs> uh, but looking over the, uh, the last 10 years, it's up 3%. So your returns have not been good on in the long term. I have gotten that dividend, uh, but probably annualized your return is maybe somewhere around 3%. Uh, looking forward, though, for the company, uh, IBM estimated earnings per share in December 2023. Well, that's $10.18. Would give us a target sell price of about $168.99. So still a little room for growth. It may be in our hold categories. We like to buy companies that are more than 30% away. It seems to be teetering on that cusp of a buy and a hold based off the valuations. But again, we talked about that debt being a concern. Uh, another thing talking about being able to kind of pay out that dividend is if they have debt payments coming up, that could cost them cash flow. And then they could have to revert some of that cash to pay off debt rather than pay that dividend. So that's something I would want to understand there, Jim. The other thing as well is I sure. do see earnings are estimated to grow 18% this year. So we talked about the huge earnings decline over the last 12 months. Right. I'm not sure if maybe that <clears throat> came from some write downs on intangible right. assets. And uh, now they're looking for earnings growth going forward here because that, that's a pretty big climb in uh, one year for especially a company like IBM. So there's a little bit more to that cash flow story I'd want to understand just to see the viability of that dividend. And, and speaking of the cash flow, I did look at it uh, for the quarter ending June 22. The cash flow is $1.3 billion. That was lower than last year's quarter of the same period of $2.6 billion. And then June 20, it was $3.6 billion. So the cash flow seems to be dissipating. Makes me worry in that dividend because they do have the high payout ratio. Cash flow appears to be slowing down. Um, I, 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 it's going to hurt IBM if they have to announce a dividend cut. I think you'd see that stock drop even more. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be concerned on that. I, don't, I would not want to hold this company. All right, Jim? Yeah, yeah that, brings up a, <clears throat> that brings up an interesting point. I mean, I've owned a bunch of companies in my life, Brandon. I know I can be absolutely honest, moral, and, uh, you know, stand in front of God and swear everything's fine and run earnings and have a 13 to 1 P.E. ratio or a 15 to 1 P.E. ratio. And they'll both be legal and ethical and moral. And so I'm, I'm fascinated why we don't talk more about funds from operations as the metric on a company versus earnings, which to me is a, earnings is just a foggy fixture, but can't, funds from operations, or as you were stating about IBM cash flow, uh, I know it works in my personal life. It's only about cash flow. And uh, yeah. I just I'd pr appreciate some comments on that if you've got a minute yeah. or two. Yeah, I mean, one thing we've done on the Smart Investing Show for, gosh, it's been around for 30 years, is try to point people in the right direction. I mean, in reality, before we buy a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. There's so many different things we could look at that it'd be the most boring show because of fact. <laughs> you might enjoy it, Jim. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it'd be too in depth. So that's why we try to look at the, the basic things. And that's why many times we say, you know, looks pretty good, but, you know, do your own research because there is a lot more to it than what we give. We're just trying to give the concept of what it is. And, and you're right, there's other things to look at. But again, there's so many things to look at. It, it, it would take all hour to do one. Well, and I'm just kind of looking here, even at the cash flow. One thing I would want to look at is I see just a, a point that says other cash flows from operating activities that cost IBM $1.5 billion. Well, what was that? Yeah. I'm guessing it's probably changes in working capital. That may may swing back around as kind of talk about the inventories with GDP. So there's so many things to kind of go through. And, and one thing that we look at is generally companies with good earnings are going to have good cash flow. Now, we want to make sure those two sure. match up. So yeah. a lot of times we don't dive yep. as deep into the cash flow side of things here on the show. But with our companies, we always want to make sure that our earnings and our cash flow essentially are matching because 
If not, there's going to be some accounting tricks likely involved, which makes me really question the viability of those earnings. So they really do work together there, I guess, is the point I'd like to make. And, and one thing, too, that I, I did bring up, because you can make earnings look a little bit different, do things and so forth. You can't do that with the, the sales. The sales were down last year 19.8%. You can't do any accounting tricks to change that. So there's things that we pull out, and when we do our analysis, many times we'll cut a company off like, no, it's not worth it but we will keep moving forward till we find a problem that we don't like and then we'll stop looking at the company. So to answer your question, yes, we know about that, but there's so many things to do we can't, so we try to give the, a, a concept to try to help people in the right direction worth looking at or don't waste your time looking at it. So IBM, I'm kinda gonna put in that category. I'm, I would not recommend this as a buy at all because I don't like, too many things I'm saying I don't like to say it's worth the research. All right, Jim? No, I got I got it, and I appreciate very much the con the comment about earnings matching cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's and sales. Those three items are just uh, far more useful than simply earnings. Thank yep. you. Yep. All right, Jim. Well, thanks for calling. You have a good one. See you guys. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line. Let's go out to or let's see the phone. Let me get the phone numbers again. Eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three let's go up to carlsbad and speak with brendan brendan you're the smart vegetable brent chase how can we help you hey good morning guys thanks for taking my call sure. um i was wondering what you guys think of toyota stock okay now do you hold that or looking at yeah. buying it um i've just been watching it it doesn't seem to have a ton of upside right now but it's near you know it seems to be near its 52 week low and it's a company i really like so okay. i don't own it own it Okay, kind of and that's a great have family that works. Yep, great company, great cars, so always worth looking at that. So, did you say uh, you have family that works for them there? Yeah, I do. Oh, do they like working there? Is it a, a good place to work? Yes, okay. they do. I, I kind of think yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it would be. Yeah, I would be, but yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know if I knew anybody that worked at Toyota. <laughs> All right, uh, they are also in the industry of auto manufacturers. Uh, only one point three percent institutional ownership. Now that's very strange. I don't know how that number is coming up. Uh, could be because it's. I've, uh, seen, I've noticed this with ADRs. ADRs. I'm gonna say because so, it's ADR, so something's kind of strange on that. The numbers. So I would would not place any relevance on that at this point in time. Look at the PE ratio though: 10.8 versus 18.2. I do like seeing that. Uh, price of sales: one versus 1.1. Price of book value: 1.2 versus 5.2, and that is price of tangible book value is what I give out. And then price of cash flow, 8.3 versus 9.9. .9. And peg ratio, only 0.5 versus 2.0. So great uh, start on the valuation ratios for Toyota. We do see year-over-year -year sales are down 3.1%. Industry was up 9.5, so that's kind of disappointing. Uh, sales, however, up 2.7% uh, over the past year for Toyota. Industry was down 4.2, so that's a positive. Uh, the five-year earnings per share growth rate uh, is 23% for Toyota, only 22.6 for the industry, so that's a big positive there. You got a decent dividend, 2.7%. They only use 25% of the earnings to pay that out. We see on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.1 versus 1.8, that's okay. Debt to equity one versus 0.6, that also is okay. Net profit margin checks in at 9.1, versus 7.2, that's a positive. Return to equity, kind of disappointing, 10.9, versus 
versus 16. Chase, what do you got for going forward here? Yeah, so current price here for Toyota Motors, uh, $162.59. The 52-week high will, that's $213.74. And the 52-week low, well, that's $152.14. Year-to-date is down 11%. Held up much better than GM and Ford, um, and also uh, beating Tesla so far year-to-date as well. So even though it's down, it's not down as many as the other auto manufacturers. And I think I just wanted to point out as well, we talked about ADR, just so people know that's what we call an American depository receipt allows you to buy foreign companies but kind of on a, a US stock exchange so you're not having to take uh, gosh what is it the Japanese yen yeah you're not having to buy trade convert to yen and then buy Toyota stock you can buy that stock in US dollars via an ADR an American depository receipt but looking at the numbers going forward for Toyota I see they do report on a fiscal period so I got to March 2024 I see the average estimate for earnings per share is twenty dollars and three cents take our 16.6 multiple for that we get a target sell price of 332 dollars and 50 cents so i mean the the valuations for auto manufacturers are many times phenomenal uh just because they are so cyclical we know that during boom cycles you're going to make a bunch of money and then typically during down cycles you're going to have you know a huge swing in earnings so it's very I don't want to say deceiving to look at just the PE multiple here because it can be all over the place, but you do want to understand kind of where they're at in the cycle and why why is their PE ratio so low. Yeah. And I would want to understand too, I know we talk a lot about even Tesla, GM, now Ford, where they stand on like kind of the autonomous vehicle side, the EV vehicle side. Now I know Toyota is big with the hybrids, but where do they kind of stand on those other areas of the future of mobility i guess is how i would put it yeah i like toyota yeah i, I like be, them too yeah, yeah be, be a pretty good company all right there uh brendan yeah thanks a lot guys really appreciate it and re- i really enjoy the show so well thank thanks you for again. that yeah thank you i tell your friends and neighbors about it uh we, we love uh talking numbers here you have a good one all right okay that does open the phone line 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, Vince, I see you there from North Park. Hold on, because before we get to you, we want to turn to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, we're, do- <clears throat> we're doing well. Uh, interesting topic today: five twenty nine plans. I'm, I'm going to let you talk about what you have there, and then I know Chase and I have some comments on that. So we're going to go. <laughs> All right, so 529 plans, it's kind of the standard or considered a standard for education planning, but basically it's an investment account um, used for education. So this could be college tuition, <laughs> room and board, books, supplies, um, even tuition for K through 12 schools up to $10,000 a year. So you can use it for education. Um, if you don't use it for education, um, you make an unqualified withdrawal from that, then you've got a 10% penalty on the federal side. California also imposes a 2.5% penalty, so it's similar to an early retirement withdrawal from retirement account. So 10 on the Fed, 2.5 California, plus federal and state taxes. So if you use this account or if you find out that your kid or grandchild is not going to go to school, you know, you could be looking at uh, potentially 50% or more in taxes and penalties on the earnings component of that. Not the contributions, just the earnings is subject to that, but a lot of taxes and penalties if it's not used for education. Um, These accounts are funded with after-tax dollars, and then they grow (laughs) tax-free. 
Um, and, you know, people come to me and they say, oh, you know, I just had a child or I just had a grandchild. I've got to open up a 529 plan. And I would say that these are really not appropriate for everybody. There are some cases where it can't make sense. If there is a, a candidate, I would say that candidate is, is most likely a high income earning family with the ability to front load these accounts while the child is young and a family that is absolutely sure that their child is going to go to college or at least a private school, which it's difficult to be sure that you're going to that you're going to make your kids do that. But that's kind of the I, ideal candidate because a high income family is one that would actually somewhat benefit from the tax free growth of these 529 plans. And if you can front load this account while the child is young, you make sure that there is actually some earnings in there, there's time for the account to, to grow over time. Um, and you can make sure that, that it's gonna be used. So for example, if you are a, a married couple that makes $110,000 a year or so or less, you don't pay any capital gain taxes or dividend taxes anyway on, on, on in income. So investing in a 529 for the tax-free growth doesn't help you because you can invest in any investment account and not have to pay those taxes on the federal side anyway. So. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Also, if you have a kid who's, you know, in high school or something and looking to go to college soon, the 529 might not be that good because, well, they're going to be going to school so soon that even if you put some money in there, there's no time for it to have a chance to grow and actually accumulate any earnings that you would be able to access tax-free. Because, again, there's no, at least in the state of California, there's no um, upfront tax credit or tax deduction for funding one of these types of accounts. So in many cases, um, the 529, it sounds attractive because tax benefits and all these things, but really when you look at it, um, again, it's not for everybody. There's additional fees that they come with. There's these restrictions. Um, you're limited on your investment options. for. So for a lot of people, it doesn't make sense to use them. You're better off just investing in a, a regular investment account. And then when if your child or grandchild does decide to go to school, well, now you have some funds that you can um, gift them at that time and, and um, help them go to school or pay directly to the institution itself. And Harrison, this is something because, uh, again, you do a full financial plan for people. It's something that you bring up in the financial plan. I'm, I'm sure sometimes you see it, it shouldn't be there and sometimes it, it's not there and it should be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, they're, they're just like anything. There are cases where this can make sense. There's cases where it doesn't make sense. And so and sometimes, yeah, 529 could be a tool because there is one provision that's kind of cool about it. Whenever you contribute to a 529 plan, you are technically making a gift to the beneficiary of that, even if even if it's your own child. And right now, one person can gift another person $16,000 worth of value per year. That's the limit. But with the 529 plan, you can gift five years worth of gifts all in one year. So instead of $16,000 a year, you can make a $60,000 donation or contribution to this account. And then if you're married, you and your spouse can both do that. Um, so it's, it's double. Actually, I'm excuse me, it's 80000 a person, $160,000 for a married couple. So, you know, that can allow a high income earning family to, to make a large contribution up front. And then there would be time for the earnings to actually grow and compound. That could be useful. But again, it's, you know, in many cases, people aren't able to do that or it doesn't matter because they don't pay taxes on the dividends and, and capital gains anyway. So it really just depends on the situation. Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we will see you on Monday morning. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Have a nice weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson. Here's our uh, financial planner at Wilson Asset Management. He is a CFP. He's on a fee base. Uh, there's no commission. He doesn't sell commission products or anything of that nature. If you want that unbiased financial plan, he does give a free consultation to see if a financial plan will benefit you, how it will benefit you. Uh, you can give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six, or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send him a uh, email there that you'd like a free consultation or ask him some questions before you do that consultation. So, all right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. And I forgot, because uh, we always print out the, the newsletter, after we do our, our segments in the beginning because there's other topics beside that or if you miss those topics like well what i want more detail on that uh other topics on there we talk we talk about uh, were covid 19 vaccinations how they're affecting things uh also too we talked about natural gas and the newsletter uh solar energy the chip bill was in there a little bit which couldn't be outdated from the time we wrote that but still some information there for you it is a free newsletter you can get that uh, by simply going to our website smartinvesting2000.com again that's smartinvesting2000.com you'll also see that what we jason and i did talk about on the gdp the housing market and also on the microsoft uh stock revenue as we called it there so all right uh, as promised Let's go out to North Park and speak with Vince. Vince, you're on the Smart Rest Show, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Vince? I'm doing well. I, um, I read about this company in uh, an article in Barron's. It's called Darling Ingredients. The ticker symbol is D as in uh, David A-R. Okay. I wanted to get your opinion on it. Okay, I like that name. Sounds like it'd be a good good start. Darling and, and ingredients sounds like they have some nice ingredients. So, let's say look at uh, Darling and ingredients. Symbol is D A R. They are in the packaged food industry. Only two point nine percent short on it. Ninety six point four percent institutional owned. That's pretty high. These numbers are for the last reported period is a March thirty first. They have not reported yet. Uh, the, the earnings for the second quarter. Uh, we do see a P ratio 16.7. That is better than the industry at 20.4. Price to sales, however, 2.3 versus 1.6. Price to tangible book value, 6.3 versus not material for the industry. That's a positive. And price to cash flow, 16.1 versus 15.6. Now, a very good peg ratio, which tells you how much you're paying for the PE, uh, uh, the growth of the company going forward based on the PE. Uh, 0.3 versus 92.2. That almost sounds too good to be true, but that's what it is. We do see the growth over, on the earnings over the last year. They were up 39.9% versus 28.8% for the industry. Sales grew by 23%. Uh, industry only up 6.3. And wow, a five-year earnings per share growth estimate here by the analysts of 43%, well above the industry at 3.1. They do not pay a dividend. Uh, look at the balance sheet here. They've got a uh, current ratio 1.6 uh, versus 1.4. That's good. Debt to equity 0. 0.6 versus 0. 0.9. That's another positive. Net profit margin 13.6 versus 8.1. Return to equity 20.1 versus 26.8. So I'm kind of like what I'm seeing here so far, Chase. Uh, what, what do you have over there? And I was interested. I, I, I thought I recognized this company's name, and I, I did. They, they do work with an energy company. Really? And yeah, what they do is they actually develop and manufacture sustainable ingredients for customers in pharmaceutical, food, pet food, 
fuel and fertilizer industries and they collect and then transform all aspects of animal byproduct streams into ingredients that includes like gelatin fats proteins pet food ingredients fertilizers other specialty products so they, they really distribute their products to all different industries it's not just for food and what they do and this is where i recognize them from is they actually re recover and convert use cooking oil and bakery remnants into feed and fuel ingredients oh, wow. so they partner with a energy company to do renewable diesel where they're able to utilize animal byproducts and then old cooking oil and actually convert that into fuel and i've talked about this just on the energy side of it i I don't know why more people don't talk about it, and I don't know if I'm missing something, but renewable diesel to me seems to be like a really interesting alternative to, to a you know green type way to actually improve our fuel efficiency, and, and Darling is involved in that renewable diesel type process with a, a company that we we do own, so right. I, I'm going to give that out, but <laughs> <laughs> make people dig for it a little bit. <laughs> But I, I do want to talk a little bit, of course, about the, the current price for Darling. That's at $69.28, 52-week high, $87.59, and the 52-week low, that's $55.71. See, year-to-date, the stock is flat. So it, it's held up pretty pretty well so far year-to-date. Yep. Held up. But going forward to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $6.68. Well, that would give us a target sell price of $110.89. So that still looks pretty darn good in terms of the valuation of this business. I, I like the company in terms of it, it being a diversifier in the portfolio. It's, it's really kind of a unique business to, to own, I would say. And it sounds like it could kind of be trading a little bit off of the energy side because of what you're talking about, the biodiesel. But I like it too because it's also like a food company as well. So I, I, I'm liking this company. The only thing I don't like, I wish they paid a dividend. They don't. But the fundamentals, I think, look good. The earnings look good on this company. I mean, as we always say, do more research on it. But I think it's definitely worth the research on this company. It's it's got good growth, and I like it. Yeah, I, I like it as and, well. And I think Brent, I think it, I think it jumped on uh, Friday. I think when they announced that um, that act that was a uh, mansion in made that a, um, I don't know what that, uh, the, what's it called, the Inflation Act or something they <laughs> yeah, signed? I, I, I think they benefited from that. The Climate Act, yes. The Climate is, Act. Was that they it? call it the Inflation Act, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the Climate Act. Because <laughs> the Inflation Act yeah. will get passed easier because, oh, we've got to combat inflation. But, um, yeah, it, it just looks like a good business. I mean, really read more about the business, understand them more. But I, I, I think it's worth the research because it just looks like a, a good long-term investment. You're, you're not going to have, you know, 50% gain next week. But I think over five years, I think you'd be, as long as they stay on the same track, I think you'd be very happy with this company as a good long-term investment. All right, Vince? Thanks, guys. All right, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that is open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Santa Barbara and speak with Joe. Joe, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you yeah, hi. I was uh, wondering if you could give me some information on uh, a company that we've invested into over time. We're not in it right now, but we have been in it. Ag Mortgage Investment Trust, uh, MITT are the symbols. And uh, it, we, we look at that for the uh, uh, dividend distribution. Oh, okay, yeah, it, it does appear to be a REIT, a mortgage REIT. Uh, company is AG Mortgage Investment, symbol MITT. Uh, not, not much float on it, 2.3%, 44% institutional owned. 
Looking at P.E. ratio here, 4.6 versus 10.4. And these numbers are based on first quarter. They will release next quarter, August 3rd. Uh, price to sales, 2 versus 5.1. That's positive. Price to book value, 0. 0.6 versus 10.2. You're paying 60 cents on the dollar for the price of tangible assets for this company. That looks pretty positive. Price of cash flow, 6.3 versus 7.4. Now we do see, wow, earnings fell by 84.5% over the last year. Industry down 58.9. Sales were up 2.8% for AG Mortgage Investment, uh, but the industry down 30.2. Uh, they have a five-year growth estimate of a negative 28%. Uh, industry a positive 1.4. Uh, the dividend yield is 10.2%. Shows a payout ratio of 46.4. And we do want to take a peek at the, the balance sheet here. Uh, current ratio, nothing there, which is strange, again, because it's a mortgage REIT. Uh, industry, 3.8. Debt to equity, 3.4 versus 1.8. And I think because it's a mortgage REIT, things are a little bit different. Uh, net profit margin, 63.4 versus 49.7. Uh, return to equity, 5.4 versus 10.6. Those numbers are kind of questionable. But what do you got going for it, Chase? Yeah, so our current price here for, uh, I'm going to say MITT, again, the AG Mortgage Investment Trust, was $8.23. 52-week high is $13.49. And wow, the 52-week low is $6.15. See year date, the stock's down around 15%. Now, if I go out to December 2023, even though it's a REIT, most time we look at FFO, I think, because a mortgage REIT, we do look at earnings here. Uh, estimated earnings per share, though, a dollar and one cent. That would give us a target sell price of $16.77. So, I mean, that looks very good. But I talked about this a lot in the past is one thing that I just don't comprehend is exactly how the mortgage REITs work. Because I assume they're kind of almost like a mortgage-backed security type right. thing where they're investing a bunch of different mortgages. So rising interest rates can help with the cash flows, but it's also going to hurt the current mortgages that they have invested in because they're going to become less attractive at lower yields. So their their basket of investments could fall, but the the cash flow could increase. Yeah, that's to write those down. And, and I do use something different on the earnings. I I do see only two analysts. How many analysts do you I, I have three. Three, okay. So we yeah. do use two different sources. Two different so sources, yeah, yeah. Two different sources. And just uh, That's what I was looking at. Two, you have three analysts, so not a lot of analysts there, yeah. which... We like at least four or five. So, but but I, I would be concerned as well with rising interest rates on the mortgage side because that will make those assets worth less. Could be one, but oh, well, actually, rates have fell in the last month or two. So you think the stock would have? Uh, well, the stock's recovered a little bit, somewhat, I guess. But but not at as the low as six dollars and fifteen cents. Yeah. And now it's eight twenty three. That's yeah. a pretty big move for. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the concept here, but I would really want to understand more about the company because you do get that nice 10% yield. Some of those numbers I, I you know, talked about look very good. So I think it's worth a research, but you gotta be really careful here because with mortgages, they can, especially what if they're prime, what if they're not prime mortgages? What if they're- And, and that's what yeah. I always wonder is, okay, the mortgage rate, we'll call it 6%, but they're paying out 10%. So what type of mortgages are they investing yeah. in? So it's it's something that that I do wonder exactly how the business functions and what happens if all of a sudden they have to write off a mortgage because that dividend falls, their dividend, I'd assume their dividend's almost variable. I, I, I don't know if they pay out the same dividend all the time. I mean, as I said, there's a lot to it, but um, I I have a, a lot of concerns about just investing in mortgages at this time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you got more to do there, Joe. I, I would look at maybe the history of the dividends and so forth, but I, I, I still think it's worth it on this company, but be very careful of this REIT. All righty. 
Thank you very much. Okay, Joe, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Uh, we did not get to uh, Chris, a couple other people. We kind of ran out of time, unfortunately. Um, if you didn't get to you, Chris, and the other couple of people that were on hold there, I'll give us a call next week. Because there's a closing bell. So thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, Go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase. We'll see. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think.